Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show... It is everyone's best friend, Massachusetts basketball legend, uh, future Massachusetts basketball dad, based off of his experiences this weekend. Uh, it's Matt Penny. What's going on, Ben? How are we doing? I, I did. I did the the Boston, the Massachusetts basketball swing this weekend. I, I feel really one with my home state, so I, I appreciate the intro there. <laughs> yeah, Penny uh, went to Boston College Duke. And got to take his son to UMass for the first time, right? That was his first visit to a UMass basketball game at UMass. We went to Northeastern early in the year, but that was his first true home game for the Penny family. Yeah, and please go to Matt Penny's Twitter feed and watch his darling son just run around the court in circles like the happiest little <laughs> he's, child. He's, on he's a madman. He, he did pretty well. The one story I will share is that so it was alumni day and a lot of my former teammates were there with their families. It was awesome because you don't see those guys enough as you get older. So everyone's there and one of my teammates' kids are a little bit older and, and my son really wants to be a big kid. He's three. He wants to be 10. So they're running up up and down the, the bleachers, the stands. My wife, who played soccer at UMass too, and she's chasing him around. And there comes a point in the game where it gets close, UMass and St. Joe's, and the kids are chanting defense and make a play and play harder and, and my son Avery just he doesn't really know the the basketball social cues yet so he like looks over he looks back he goes buzz light year <laughs> that's good I, I like that I'm a Toy Story fan too buddy but why don't we try like oh, yes. go go boys or something so buzz light year that's come on dude come on buzz light year yeah, so that, was our, that was our take he was good he enjoyed it you messed one so that's a win oh, that's God. a win for everybody what a king. Just the, the absolute, he is, absolute he's, he's the boss for sure. Uh, okay. So our goal today, we are going to do a post-Super Bowl because it seems like every year that is when more people really start to engage within the college basketball season and within the NBA draft cycle. Uh, we are going to engage in a post-Super Bowl reset of where we stand as we enter the 2022 NBA draft cycle. And within that, we'll talk uh, a little bit about college basketball, obviously, because that's just kind of the way that the draft cycle goes. You can kind of touch on a lot of topics. So I'm excited to do this. We're going to do it 21 question style. This is the first 21 questions mm. podcast that I've recorded with Matt Penny. 
So we will try not to go for an hour and 90 minutes. Uh, and no, get some more at two and a half hours. It's, but, it's, also, it's also 21 questions right after a Super Bowl halftime performance featuring 50 Cent. No one for 21 question. It. Come on. Why do, why do you think I did it? I'm on top. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't our, I don't know. Our, our king. Just, uh, just coming out like he was in the original oh in the club gosh. video. Like Ooh. upside down, my guy has. Uh, I was worried. Guy, I was worried. He was up there, and I looked at my buddy. And said, "Ooh, I don't know about this one. I don't know. I, I was worried I about put myself flip. up there. Are we? Are we flipping? <laughs> we we sitting up? Uh, I admire it. In the club was a, an absolute movement when it came out, but he oof, that was he he finished it. I'll, I'll give him credit. He got there. That was that was the important part. We did not have like a disaster moment from no. one of our no, uh, important childhood musicians. Mm. Okay, uh, is there anything else we need to talk about before we dive into this? Uh, I don't think, I think so. Think we have, that, we have twenty one questions. I, I feel like we cover the the whole NBA draft circle of life here, uh, from from one all the way down to conclusion with some mailbag stuff. So yeah, we'll cover it all. Yeah. Yeah, so some of these questions are going to be mailbag questions, especially near the end. We're going to do some mailbag questions. I did not prepare a prospect of the week, did you? I did, but we didn't talk about it. I have like four in the holster anytime just to be prepared, but we can we can punt. We'll see where we're at if we're at one hour and 90 minutes or not. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I was so stuck on trade deadline stuff last week that I did not uh, prepare a prospect of the week. Plus, I thought that 21 questions to get through as usual. <laughs> I have a timer up in the corner of my computer. Oof. We try to stick to three minutes on these okay. questions. Uh, I believe what I see it. And then we run through 21 of them and we will see where we land at the end of 21. Uh, okay. I, my hope is that we don't go 90 minutes, but we'll see. Uh, with Matt and I, things tend to get a bit difficult in that regard. Yes. Okay. Ready to get started, Matt? Let's do it. Decker. Question number one, what is your overall thought on the 2022 NBA draft as we get past the Super Bowl and into the part of the year where everyone starts to focus on basketball? I feel like this is a, a lawyer like opening statement as we're going to have yeah. our, our own little, little deal here. And I'm going to steal a line from the late great Tom Petty. I, I feel like we're into the great wide open. And why I say that is there's no definitive, true consensus, absolute no hesitation number one pick in the draft there's a, a good amount of depth in the front court there's a limited amount of quality depth i'd say from the point guard spot and really so much is up for grabs across all those really tiers there's been a, a first tier or two established beyond that even i don't know where we go from here and <laughs> watch clips i watch games i watch highlights the next day and it, it's similar to the ncaa tournament breakout where a team advances beyond where they're slotted to I wouldn't be surprised with some NBA teams reaching on guys or taking dark horse type names that we even haven't been as high on because that's how wide open it is for everybody. And it, it makes for a, a very exciting cycle in this time of year of March coming and a very exciting last push into a full on draft season too. Yeah. Would you say it's true or false? This is the most wide open draft that you can remember uh, within the last I don't know, seven or eight years. Yes. I, I don't even know really what's number two because number one is yeah. wide open. We've discussed that extensively. And then middle of the first round's open. End of the first round's open. Do you want to go old? Yeah. Do you want to go young? Like what's what's your preference of development and developmental style? So with that said, there's a lot of unknowns. We, we, we're always going to do our homework on it. But I, I think that mock draft's going to be very different than what happens on draft night. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that like what we have right now in terms of mocks 
has a chance to be like very drastically different yeah. than what it looks like on draft night. I was talking to um friend of the program, John Hollinger over the weekend. And what we kind of came to is we were just like, yeah, look, if you're anywhere five to 15, like there's not really a wrong take. You know what right. I mean? Like right. it's, it's probably a wrong take to have like Walker Kessler at number five, but you know, you get beyond, you know, you get into that five to 15 range and you want to have Johnny Davis at number five. You want to have Jalen Duran at number five, right? You want to have Ty Ty Washington at number five. You would throw a like fit. But, I, I I would. I'd also argue if things developed, and and we don't yeah. know. Like he's the, we're texting this weekend. He's he's got hurt in like three of these games, but he's shooting yep. better off the move. He's shooting better with his feet set. Kentucky's pretty good. They got a great game tonight against Tennessee. If he keeps playing well and Kentucky advances the tournament, he's going to get that NCAA tournament bump too. Yep. No. Totally. So. Let's go to question number two. We're going to kind of run through the different tiers of the draft here throughout this podcast. So who do you see as the contenders for the number one overall pick? There's a a group of four guys that could be the first overall pick where I don't think there'd be much debate on. And that would be Chet Holmgren, seven-footer from Gonzaga, Jabari Smith, six-foot-ten forward from Auburn. Paul Bancaro, six foot ten forward from Duke, and it was spicy a few months ago. I think the spice is wearing off a little bit. You could have a discussion about Jaden Ivey, six foot four guard from Purdue. If you want to get totally wacky, as I think this draft still has a chance of doing, you could maybe add Shaden Sharp, six six wing from Kentucky in there. If you want to get wacky wacky, we could say maybe AJ Griffin puts it together, uh, six six four from Duke. I think those guys are a little bit further away, so I, I'm locked into those kind of top four. But really, a group of six or so guys that have some sort of case or sell that they should be considered there. Yeah, it's interesting the way that the AJ Griffin thing has developed because I was worried that I was going to be kind of out on an island a little bit. Uh, having my initial impression, I have a mock draft I'm filing this week, was that I was going to have AJ Griffin at five. Mm-hmm. And then I talked to scouts and they, they were pretty much in agreement. Like, look, like it, it's a polarizing deal, right? Like there's totally. no consensus. There is no, like, you have to have this guy at five. You have to have this guy at three. You have to have this yeah. guy at seven. So, you know, not every scout agreed that AJ Griffin should be five. I talked to one that didn't have him in the top 10 still. I, I, but, believe, I, I believe that too. Right. But at the end of the day, people really like the upside of AJ Griffin and really think he has a chance to be the kind of shot creating wing that teams look for and don't have a problem developing because wings are just in such short supply in the NBA, especially ones that are six, six with near seven foot wingspan who are athletic, who can move up and down the positional spectrum athletically uh, defensively and actually make a difference in terms of length, in terms of everything like that. So I really think that those are the names. I think that the top four are realistically the names that you guys have probably heard the most. Chet Holmgren, Paulo Bancaro, Jabari Smith. I do think Jaden Ivey is starting to rise into that, and I think that it's probably worth you know maybe cutting this question short again and moving on to an in-depth discussion of each of those four names because I do think that they are uh, really interesting in a number of regards. So let's move to question number three. Uh, Chet Holmgren is just dominating. Uh, I would say over the last month, he has been arguably the best player in college basketball, let alone like the best draft prospect and most interesting 
translatable prospect, right? Do we chalk the Chet Holmgren leap up to playing in the WCC, getting a chance to get his feet under him because of that? Uh, or do we chalk it up to playing the WCC, playing worse quality of competition from time to time? Uh, because that's a question that, frankly, a lot of people ask about. Or do we just chalk it up to he's gotten better and he's gotten more comfortable in college basketball over the course of this time? This feels like a little bit of both, and, and that's okay. I don't think you have to be white or black. Like, we can be in the middle. We can, we can be gray. And and why I say that is, Chet came to college without having a consistent weight room, without consistently playing against bigger, stronger players. Like You forget about that. When when you're playing in high school, you're playing the grassroots circuit, maybe play a kid who's, who's 6'9", 240. You're playing bigger, stronger guys every single night in college, and your body just isn't used to that yet. It, it takes time to catch up. So it takes him 10 or so games to get going, and now he's hitting a stride, and it happens to be in conference play, which isn't necessarily his fault, but you see that he's playing with more confidence. He's doing more off the dribble, more from the perimeter. He's grabbing and going off the rim and, and pulling up from three. His shot, which we, we talked about as, as being like, eh, is it, is it good enough? It looks to have limited its movement. There's a little bit more arc on it. He's shooting 58% from distance in WCC play on 3.6 attempts per game. It's not like he's taking one as a kick out and the shot clock. Like This is a real part of his game now. Add yeah. that with the, the shot protection and the shot altering he does defensively in the paint, and it becomes very clear why he's such a highly regarded prospect. So I... Like there's definitely a part of it. It's a lower level of competition. You're also seeing a, a freshman, a 19 year old, who's just figuring out real time too. No, I think that's all right. Uh, I've been very, very impressed with what I've seen from Chet Holmgren over the course of this time, and it's on both ends. Like you know, we kind of talked about the shooting, we've talked about the ball handling, but his rim protection is utterly elite. Uh, I mentioned this on last week's podcast, but I genuinely thought that the game against BYU that he played, uh, not this previous week, but the week before that, was the best prospect game I've seen any player play. He had 20 points, 17 rebounds, six assists, five blocks. Uh, BYU, I think, shot 33% from two-point range. They scored under 0.7 points per 100 possessions. Uh, it was utter dominance in a way that, I haven't like there have been great games this year, but I haven't seen one like that. I would say Uh, he has just been so, so good throughout the course of that time. I actually went through and pulled the numbers uh, since uh, I believe that um, his last 12 games, he's averaging 16 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks, two assists over two made threes. I mean, this kid's seven foot one. He's like a seven (laughs) foot six wingspan. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Like he's averaging the same number of threes per game over those 12 games that like Ben Matherin's averaging. Yeah. And Ben Matherin's like whole skill set is that of a shooter. Right, right. Uh, Can't do anything else to create off the dribble. And, and Chet's doing that and blocking shots and whatever. I, I had somebody tweet at, at me or, or whatever, tag me and said, find you a person who loves you like Matt Penny loves Chet Holmgren as a prospect. <laughs> So I laugh, but it's true. And I have like a, yeah. a little thing on, on my synergy editor here of I'm watching clips in WCC play and just like saving them for how crazy they are. The stuff that he does within oh, a game. Insane. He had one, I think it was against Pacific on like the left, kind of like mid post. He like dribbled, he spawned, he, he faced up, faded back onto like one foot, then another like one foot fade away. And I'm just like, I don't like, what do you even do with that? Like, how do you stop that when he's hitting that? He's hitting pull up threes. He's blocking shots. He's making plays off the dribble. 
it's it's the weight. It's can he withstand a, a full season with bigger, stronger guys? Beyond that, he's he's the number one pick. But you'd still have that inkling in the back of your head: is he going to be there developmentally in the same timeline as a guy like Paulo or Jabari? Maybe. Yeah, and the main question here, we shouldn't sugarcoat it. You know, he is like 190 pounds, right? Right. He is seven foot one, 190 pounds. Yeah. That's like 25 pounds lower than what Evan Mobley was entering the NBA. And Evan Mobley is not strong enough to play the five right now. Uh, Chet Holmgren is coming in with less strength than Evan Mobley by a substantial margin. Chet makes up for it with toughness. He makes up for it with incredible competitiveness. Like, this is one of the elite competitiveness prospects that we have seen in the draft in the last few years. Uh, is it going to be enough? I don't know. But don't know. he's going to need to do some significant work in the weight room to get to the point where he is like legitimately big enough to deal with the wear and tear of the NBA over a significant schedule. We are playing 82 games over the course of, what, five months, I guess yeah, it would be? long season. Uh, six months, yeah. So – Let's go to question number four here. Paulo Bancaro has slowed down a bit from his early dominance. He had a great game early in the season against Chet Holmgren, where he had 20 points in the first half, started to slow down due to cramping in that game. Um, over the course of his last seven games, he's averaging 14.9 points on 14.9 shots per game. Uh, is he still a candidate for the number one overall pick? He is still a candidate. I, I don't have him one on my board. I have him closer to four or five. I, I went to Duke BC this week, and, and part of it was I wanted to get there early. I want to see him shoot in, in warm-ups because it's different in the game, right? You're, you're looser. You're just getting getting ready, getting a sweat, getting a lather. And he can catch and shoot in, in rhythm from three, and that's been the hanger for me and why I don't have him as a top three guy is at his size, he has to be able to shoot and, and do it with confidence. So I don't know if it's a, a mental thing in the games. I don't know if he just has like a little bit of hesitation, but I at least saw with my own eyes that like he has it. He, he can do it. So while the shooting has been down, I, I will give him credit. Other parts of his game have emerged. His passing has been a lot better. It's been a lot more yep. crisp. It's been a lot more creative. He had some nice ones on the move against Duke. He whipped one uh, to the corner for an open three. He had like a little dump off at the end of the first half right before the horn to Mark Williams for a dunk. He's seeing the play develop a little bit more before getting to his move. And he then he'll show you how hard of a defensive assignment he is when it's a side or, or high post isolation. It, it got to a point in that game where if you weren't sending a second guy or rotating, it was really game over. With, with his feet and his strength and his shoulders and his base with a little bit of a touch, that's a really hard guy to stop. So he's a jump mm -hmm. shot away. He really is. If somehow he becomes a plus shooter from three, in February and March and into the tournament, we see some workout videos filter out. I wouldn't completely rule him out going number one. It, it's still close. It's just not quite there yet for me. Yeah, the, the reason that I don't have him at number one at this point, I do have him at number three, is we just spent all this time talking about Chet Holmgren's defense. Yeah. And I don't want to say Paulo is a bad defender. I don't think he's terrible i think he knows where to be i think he's a smart intuitive player uh he just has real physical limitations that you know chet also has some physical limitations in terms of strength but uh paulo is just not nearly as impactful on that end because no. he doesn't have the lateral quickness that chet does and he just doesn't uh have the rim protection 
that Chet does. Like he plays next to Mark Williams a lot uh, and plays next to Theo John a decent amount whenever Theo's out there. Uh, but he almost always needs a rim protector because he's not like a totally natural shot blocker on the interior. He's not terrible at it. He's just like not, you know, he's not a primary rim protector necessarily. Which is some of the fit thing too. If you got a team in the lottery that has a rim protector and he can just step in and be a four and take a few chances and not be the best laterally, but you have that guy behind you, that definitely helps his case. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But is he quick enough to guard fours? There's like, there's that little bit of, um, like he might be in between positions a little bit. Like yep. the, the tweener thing is no, is no longer like, Oh, it's the three, four tweener, right? Like it's the four, five tweener. Can you go out on the perimeter and guard laterally against ones and twos? Can you be switchable? Um, or can you be like a drop covered center who can just stay in the paint and protect the rim at a high level? And if you do that enough, then I think the good yeah. part is offensively, he'll roast fives on the perimeter. If you pull totally. up that five, that, that's what he wants to do. And he'll get to the rim and draw fouls, get to the free throw line, shoots well enough there. It, that's why it's, it's, it's layered. We, we don't know the, the offensive defense and, and why big boards can look different than, than mock drafts and what it looks like on draft night, too. Let's go to question number five now. Uh, I'll just kind of ask what makes Jabari Smith such an elite prospect? Yeah, this the versatility he has in the front court, along with the old still scratching the surface adage. We're talking about a 6'10 forward who's truly coming into his own at Auburn. He's put in time to improve on the court. He gets in the weight room. Uh, he takes the tough coaching. There's an article on that talking about how Bruce Pearl can be really hard on him. His dad wants to be coached hard. And then he has this just picture-perfect jump shot with with no wasted movement. It looks so natural, so fluid. And and when he has that type of like feel with that jumper, and you can use him out of different offensive sets, like the NBA is built around – dribble handoffs and and short rolls and pick and pop and pick and roll. And he can do all that stuff. And he's evolving as a passer, can guard multiple positions on defense, protects the rim. What Paolo doesn't have, he does have. He moves well laterally, like at a high level for his size. He plays with a similar type Chet edge. Then he still has these holes where he's not truly dominant. He doesn't have the tightest handle in the world, which prevents him from driving lane more. And the best part is he's 18 years old. He's he's still so young. He has so much time to put it together. He's a year younger than both Chet and Paolo. His best basketball is ahead of him, which is a, a pretty scary statement for a kid that we're saying could go first overall. Yeah, no, and I think Jabari's an elite prospect. You know, we we again another guy where we didn't talk a ton about the defense there, but I think he's really good defensively. Yeah. Like I, I think that he's really smart rotationally. He's really good laterally. Uh, he's not going to have an issue switching uh, defensively at all, I think. And he's going to be able to play the four and be effective in that regard. I think he's going to be able to step onto the court in the NBA pretty quickly as a rotational like role player because of that ability to shoot, because of that uh, defensive just versatility. Like he's not going to be. Um, He's not going to like just totally take over possessions. Like you can put him next to star NBA players and he'll be effective. With Paulo, I worry a little bit about that. Like, what does that look like at the next level? It, you know, he's someone that needs the ball in his hands to be a bit more effective. Whereas with Jabari, uh, Jabari is really good as a secondary creator who can really just knock down shots at a really high level and can defend and can switch and do a lot of different stuff. Uh, I worry about the ball handling ability. Yeah. If we're taking a guy at number one, number two, number three, uh, I worry about his just total lack of left hand. Like, I really think that teams are just 
essentially sitting on his right hand and saying like, we know that you're not going to be able to drive with your left hand and you're going to try whenever you bring it back to that left on a crossover, you're just going to step back. You're not actually right. going to try and like do anything else with it. You're not going to try and bring it back to the right. You're not going to try and drive with your left hand. You're just going to get to that step back. So he really needs to improve his handle. Like if we're talking about a top three pick here. He needs to become more of a half court shot creator. Like all of these announcers talk about, oh, I'd love to see Jabari Smith just get more uh, aggressive. Like I'd love to see him attack more. I don't think he can do that right now. Like, I, I, just don't, I don't think it's in well, his skill set yet. It, it, and that's okay. It's not, it's not in the bag and he doesn't have to. When you have Wendell Green and Katie Johnson who are always driving, even they don't have the ball, they're like seemingly yep. driving. And you have Walker Kessler setting screens and hammering people. And Alan Flanagan. Yeah. So and, and Flanagan's back and, and he's figuring out too. Cambridge is catching alley oops. Jabari's perfect in, in the role and the fit that he's in right now to make that next leap as a an actual superstar in the NBA. That the handle has to be there. The left hand has to be there. For the the growth that he's shown as a high school guy to now, if he continues on that trajectory, I, I have no fear at all, especially knowing that he's gonna put the time in to to get in the gym and work on these things that were sort of noting i don't say flagging as holes in his, his game currently so longtime listeners of the show over the last year will know that matt uh is a big fan of johnny davis and i don't want to necessarily um you know ignore that fact mm. but most of the scouts that i talk to and i'm sure that most of the scouts that matt talks to see Jaden ivy as the clear number one guard in it's this true. class it's true and I'll just kind of ask this question. I mean, he has emerged a little bit more over the course of the last month. But Jaden Ivey is playing in a Purdue scheme where they have two elite level bigs in Trevion Williams and Zach Eady. It is a post-centric offense for an elite level electric transition guard. Um, Do we think that Purdue's scheme holds him back in terms of production and efficiency? Or do we think that it kind of helps him a little bit to maybe paper over some of the concerns where he doesn't have to create out of ball screens all the time. He doesn't have to be responsible for everything. Uh, where are we at on Jaden Ivey at this point? I think some somewhat it, it holds him back. And, and Purdue, like you said, they want to play inside out with their bigs of, of Zach Eady, who's seven foot four, and Trayvon Williams, six foot ten in the middle. So even in the best of times, the lane can be clogged and, and pick and rolls. Yep. Don't end up the most aesthetically pleasing sets to, to watch. Now, Purdue is letting him operate a little bit more. He's become such a big part of opposing center reports, so his shots at the same time are going to be tougher looks. The first 19 games of the season, he was playing 29 minutes per game and averaging 11 field goal attempts. The last six games of the season, he's playing 34 minutes per game and averaging 16 field goal attempts per game. So you, you yeah. see that. Purdue's letting him go a little bit. They're they're doing more things to create space for him, more of those floppy screen actions on the baseline, more ball screens. So it's important to track how much, if any, the production shifts now with the offensive load really being put more on him. And I'll say Purdue's five and one, those like six games where he's had like the freedom to go out and score. We've we've seen both. We've seen him play within the the context of a team scheme and now him being like the focal point of it. It's a yep. good evaluation setting where you can say, you're the main guy on a team or you're a piece on a team and how do you fit in? I, I think for both, it, it's been pretty seamless. 
Yeah, the big key there is the jumper. He shot well this year and he shot well in high school. He shot over 40% from three in his last three years of high school. He shot horribly from three last year and was like 26%. Yeah. As long as the jumper, I think, continues to improve in terms of consistency, even over the course of the last month since January 17th, he's down to about 34% from three. Uh, As long as the jumper is there and he's knocking down shots consistently, I think that he can be an effective player uh, at any role, any uh, any way that he's asked to play. At the end of the day, this is just an electric athlete that I think is going to translate much better to the NBA than he does to college. Can um, I have like the, a the button spacing, where I just, just extend the question for like one minute? Because I do have a take that I, I, I want your expertise on. So yeah, we, yeah, yeah, go for it. So we talked about the bigs. We talked about Paulo Chet, Jabari, right? Yep. I, I, is there a world where and he wasn't great last game he was one for eight <clears throat> ends up scoring late whatever against maryland he was fine is there a world where he leapfrogs those guys and goes first because teams think you can't pass on this electric live wire type wing athlete off ball creator in a league that searches for it as good as these bigs are it, it, will there be a team that is even like stubborn enough to stick to their guns and say this is the play we're going to run and, and jay Ivey's the guy we want to build around if the right team got number one, I think yes. Um, like if the Magic end up getting number one, that's a really interesting combo. I think that for the Pistons, like I know Pistons fans have talked a lot about taking a big to pair with Cade Cunningham. Yeah. I actually think that Jaden Ivey is like the exact player that you pair with Cade Cunningham because the thing that the Pistons need is more like electric guard play, right? Like they need an athlete uh, to be able to play with Cade, who's elite and is unbelievable. And I think is going to be like a multi-time all NBA player, like a- unbelievable player, but he's not like some incredible athlete. So I think the compliment no. there would be Jade Nivey. Like and, he would be right. perfect and, for him. And neither Sadiq Bay and neither Achilles Hayes. They're, they're not, their right. personnel isn't really built around the type of player he is. As a steward, you know, right. like you and, can go and, up and down the roster. And, Cade settled in. Like for everyone yelling at us, go back and look at the stats. He's as good as anybody's right now. Evan Mobley averages like a rebound more. Other than that, Cade's like he's there. Just for yeah. just for the record. Cade's a stud. Uh but yeah, no, I think there's a real chance that Jaden goes number one. Uh, I think his game translates better to the NBA than it does college. Uh, totally. it, it just does. The ability to play up tempo, get out in transition. Uh once he's downhill, it's over. Like it, it is completely utterly over oh and he he, he, he knows out. now too like he does a dribble like kicks his legs a little bit it's like the yeah. sonic the hedgehog boost he's like gonna roll up and spin and, and go it's you, you see you that know, like kind of, little crow hop kind of thing exactly yeah, yeah he does like the one two step it's like <laughs> here we go oh my god it's the best uh there are very few players in college basketball that i enjoy watching more than Jaden ivy okay uh, question number seven we're up to now. Who has been the breakout player of the 2022 NBA draft cycle to this point? Well, we the first one we just talked about for about five minutes, and it's Shane Ivey because he averaged 11 points per game last year. Yeah, but was, we expected that, though. I didn't. You know what I, I mean? I, like, I thought he was a first-round guy, and, and now I, I just said, could he be the number one pick in the draft? If we record this a year ago, you yeah, and sure. you told me I said this, you'd say I'm crazy. My second is Oshai Baji from Kansas. It's it's similar because he was definitely outside of the first round conversation during the last cycle. And now a guy that's averaging 20 points per game, shooting 50% from the field, 44% from three, and in the mix to be national player of the year. The age is going to scare off some teams. I get it. He's a senior. 
The shot has come back down to earth a little bit. He has been hurt. He has a wrist injury. There's going to be a team that values his high floor and the play now upside over long-term development, and that's why he sticks out the most to me. I'm so mad at you right now. I'm so mad at you. Why? I gave you a wide-open lane to talk about your guy – I, I wanted to go more hipster. The, like we can go Johnny Davis if we want, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to like. I'm trying to pepper <laughs> in other guys. Yeah, Johnny Davis is also a, another name who's averaging. <laughs> we'll talk about him later. So some of my later notes. Averaging 20 points a game. Also a national player of the year. Also somebody who's talked yeah. about being a top seven pick. And we talked to well, like pre- was wasn't even like a top seventy prospect we coming into the covered year. Covered 100 players in the preseason. Did not even name them. And I think that's kind of like warranted. Like the hardcore basketball college basketball guys be like, you guys are idiots, and we are. But like I didn't think of Johnny Davis going to be a lottery pick. I thought late first in two years, and and he's yeah. obviously jumped all all those preseason predictions too. Yeah, and I mean even NBA scouts like they will tell you we were like, hey, we thought Johnny Davis was probably a year away. Um, right. We really liked him in the preseason when we went up there, but we thought he was a year away. We we didn't see this coming uh, this quickly where he's been maybe the most valuable player in college basketball uh to a team that has a real shot to win the big 10 uh where he's averaging 20 points eight rebounds three assists and literally just does everything for them like does absolutely every single thing uh on the board for them every single night and and when you talk to big 10 coaches and it's a good phone call these days because you have like the the potpourri of like tell me about Jaden ivy tell me about keegan Murray, tell me about johnny davis you, you, you hit all the boxes and what they tell you about johnny davis is he hits tough shots, man. Like he hits tough shots. Even yeah. when even when he goes three for eighteen, like those three were like really tough ones. And uh, against Michigan State, he like turned back the corner and then he shot there at a higher percentage. He was making more of the tough shots, but they're, they're they're throwing the kitchen sink at him. Like he's he's had to deal with all these really tough coverages and doesn't have a, a ton of options next to him for guys that can help him with an NBA team and, and better athletes next to him. I, I think he's going to be a, as good as anybody in this draft too. Yeah, no, I, I really like Johnny Davis. I have him as a clear top 10 guy. Uh, to me, like he's the breakout guy this year. Um, the, the fact that he has become what he is, it's uh, it's stunning. It's really stunning. Like we did not see this. He's really good defensively. I do worry that he's like a bit small defensively. Like, yeah, I don't know. What, what do we want to say? Like six, four, six, four, and a half. Yeah. yeah, six, four, probably like a six, seven wingspan, like not super big, not super long. Not one of those like all defense candidate guys at the NBA level, I don't think, but a really good defender in college and works and fights and won't produces, be taken advantage of in the produces, NBA defensively. Yeah, it's 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 like BC basketball slogan is gritty, not pretty. And I, I do think of him with that. Like yeah. kind of produce is not necessarily yeah. always going to be highlights. And you clip up some clips and throw them up for a tweet, it's not gonna get a lot of traction because they're not always like the the most beautifully looking plays of, oh, here's another pulled jumper. Here's him like using a flex screen to score. Like, who cares? Then you look at the box score. He has 25, and Wisconsin's way better than it should be. Shaden Sharp, this is question number eight, yeah. is the 2022 NBA draft cycle wild card. Uh, I, I think that that's just like abundantly clear at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be eligible for the draft. I think that he's probably uh, – eligible for the draft we don't have an answer on that though the nba has not ruled that he will be eligible uh he has to first declare for the draft and uh everyone at kentucky seems like he is coming back to school uh 
anyone that you ask uh, with Sharp's family seems to say that uh, the plan as of right now is to return to Kentucky for the 2022-23 season. But there's this thing hanging out there where mm-hmm. he could enter this 2022 NBA draft cycle and almost certainly go in the top 10. Like there's, right. I, I'd be stunned if he fell out of the top 10 at the very least. Uh, could very well go in the top three if things really broke right for him in the pre-draft uh, process. Mm-hmm. So I ask you this. If Shaden Sharp was to enter the draft, yeah, where would you rank him uh, on your personal board? And I don't like getting into, look, all of the statements publicly have been Shaden Sharp is a 2023 NBA draft prospect. Yeah. Like they, they have been, they've opened the door a little bit, I think. And by John Calipari saying that Shaden Sharp is not going to play this year, I will say, I think that that is exactly what Shaden Sharp should do if he is going to enter this draft, but that is not a confirmation that he is going to enter this draft. It's just a uh, statement that I think keeps his options more open at this point uh, to potentially enter this draft if he decides to. So uh, look, <laughs> I'm not ranking Shaden Sharp on my board right now. Oh. And I still haven't asked you a question at this point. It's all right. It's We're getting there. Like a ridiculous situation that we're in on some level. Yeah. Um, where would you rank Shaden Sharp? Let's just start there. It's 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 so hard. Uh, I would say with a weaker perceptionally draft, I don't see him falling outside the top ten. I think I have him at like seven or eight or so right now. And yeah. if he doesn't play, you're judging off high school tape. You're judging off grassroots tape, and you're going to yeah. judge off of individual workouts, which he's going to look insane. Because he is a with nobody on him with with the runway, he's going to be an incredible testing looking athlete. His shots improved, shot over forty percent on the Nike EYBL his last summer. I I don't know where he goes. I I don't know what he does. I, I'll just say this: twenty twenty three is loaded, and I I know it yep. shifts. I know it changes, but twenty twenty three draft with Victor Wembayama and Scoot Henderson, you know what, Thompson, though, like- Nick Smith, Duke's trio of Kyle Filipowski, Derek Lively, and Derek Whitehead. That can all like figure its way out it's a lot easier sliding right now that's that's my my takeaway with this so so i'd say top 10 or so it has to develop a little bit more we we always say that like oh you never know right Just wait. you know but we've gotten pretty good at identifying like a year out what the top of a draft is going to look like right like if the top of a draft is going to be strong or not like look some guys will fall off some guys will emerge but if we see a class that is pretty strong coming in where you have Scoot Henderson, Victor Wembanyama, like everyone like that, the odds are that the class is probably going to be pretty strong. Look at last year, for instance. We talked about how strong that was, and there were you know, four guys essentially that I think would go number one overall in this year's draft class. And, you know, B.J. Boston falls off and goes number 50 or 51 or whatever. 52, yeah. Some of 52 yeah but Jalen Suggs rises up and goes number four and is like a legit or number five mm-hmm. and is like a legit top five guy right? right so you know you're gonna have those rises and falls but I think that the key is that if, if we're identifying it as strong early the odds are it's probably going to be pretty strong it right I mean, I mean we, we rattled off nine names without really blinking if three of those aren't there you still have a pretty good top six i mean you look at this draft right now we knew chet 
We knew Paulo Jabari's been better than we thought. Jaden Ivey, we thought would take a bump. Johnny Davis is in there. So, like, this one had the more variability. Like, this is the one to do it if you're going to. If you want to develop, it's going to take time. You'd rather do it in Lexington than on a G League team or just at the end of the bench of some NBA team. I understand it. What makes Jaden Sharp such an elite prospect? Before we it, move on, it, it's the size, it, it's the the frame. He has wide shoulders, small waist, explosiveness off the dribble, can self create. For, for what it's worth, Shaden Sharp is six foot six with like a six foot ten wingspan. He's a wing. He is um, like super explosive athletically. I just kind of wanted to, you know, right. I, I and, felt like we hadn't like actually said like and, what his and, position and is can and get like his that. own and can get his own off the bounce and is a, a classic late bloomer who has worked to get where he is and has worked to get his, his jumper improved and can make highlight plays on the break and can be a game changer in the half court, can be a plus defender. There, there's a lot of pieces there that when you put it together is what NBA teams look for when they're creating an ideal NBA wing in like a player's laboratory. Yeah. Um, was the best pull-up shooter last year at Peach Jam and also finished at the rim at a level commensurate with like some of the guys that Matt just talked about, like Kyle Filipowski and like the elite centers in the class. So right. wow. uh, you combine those two skills together with elite athleticism from the wing. It tends to have pretty good results, but you know we're not going to have seen him play at the highest level, and that's going to be concerning for some NBA teams. Oh, yeah. uh, we don't know what Jaden Sharp's going to do. I don't like to speculate on what kids are going to do um, in terms of like decisions until they are comfortable announcing. Um, the Jaden Sharp situation, though, is worth monitoring monitoring throughout the course of this year. Let's take our commercial break now, and we will dive back in with questions number nine through twenty one after. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for Nord VPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com 
slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back. Question number nine. The G League Ignite has become a pathway for elite-level prospects. Uh, this year, it was anticipated that the G League Ignite would have a few of those. Jaden Hardy entered the season as a potential top 10 pick. Uh, who is the best G League Ignite prospect as of right now that you have evaluated this season? Uh, and do you find it to be a particularly interesting crop of players for the 2022 NBA draft? Best of the bunch of my eyes is Dyson Daniels, six foot six, big guard out of Australia, advanced feel for an 18 year old. He turns 19 in March, uses, manipulates screens well off the bounce, really good vision to see over the top, see the floor that second or third look not even just like always the first option jumper has to come around a little bit i really like his defense i'd like the way he can guard up a lineup he does a lot of little things well when he played out in vegas as a g league showcase a lot of nba scouts left saying who's that kid he's, he's the best prospect of that team separating himself a little bit from the pack i do think it's an interesting group led by Jaden hardy they have marshawn beauchamp they have michael foster and the 17 year old wonderkin Scoot Henderson, we talked about, he's not draft eligible until 2023. It's interesting to me because this is not the Ignite crew from a year ago. When Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga got there, we kind of said, these guys are top five picks. And Kaminga slid like a little bit, but he's now playing like top five pick. I think that's fair, both those guys. Jonathan Kaminga would go number one, number two in this year's class. Correct. Pretty clearly. I think he's probably a worse prospect than Chet, but he'd be right in the mix with Jabari Smith and Paulo and those guys. He's a top three guy. This group doesn't have that. I mean, Jane Hardy has, has underwhelmed. He's been better. His shot selection and efficiency has improved. I don't know if he's a lottery pick. Dyson Daniels, if you told me he goes 17th, I wouldn't say you're that crazy. Michael Foster, uh, second round-ish. Marshawn Beauchamp, mid to late first. So it's different. It's interesting because I thought the program did a great job establishing itself in year one, and it, it's just a different look in year two, and and that's why I, I'm like still have my eyes on it and see where those guys kind of shake out on draft night. I think that's right. Uh, I think I'm even lower on this class than you are, and <laughs> okay, it's funny. Like I, was, I talked to scouts about Dyson Daniels, who I do think is the number one overall uh, guy on the G League Ignite. Right. Um, Outside of Scoot Henderson, let's remove Scoot because he's not 2022 eligible. He's 2023 eligible. Um, You you talk to scouts about Dyson Daniels. They tend to be more like, oh, we'd love to take him like 15 to 20. Yeah. yeah, Like we'd we'd love to get that guy into our system. Uh, You know, with Marjan Beauchamp, it's like we'd love that guy, you know, 25 to 30. Totally. 
But, you know, uh, as we're going to talk about here, the depth of this class is questionable at the moment, and you might have to take them a little bit higher than that. And I don't know how excited teams are to do that. Jaden Hardy is the you know biggest name there. I've not been particularly impressed with Jaden Hardy. He has games where he is unstoppable as a scorer, uh, but the overall numbers are a train wreck, um, putting it mildly. Like, yeah, like maybe like 37% from the field sub 30 from three uh does he have a negative assist turnover ratio like it it's was pretty close I, I didn't look before this um not very good defensively you, you watch the tape and you can pull highlights of Jaden hardy where it's like oh my god like this guy is a top you know lottery pick for sure but the overall like package of skills is just not very like or the overall package when you watch like full games of tape it's like oh like he's just like completely taking over the offense and trying to get his own and not really playing team basketball and um you know Passing. seems to play a basketball that is like a style of basketball it's not conducive to winning so uh I- i'm intrigued by Jaden hardy's skill set i think he needs to do some significant alterations in terms of the way that he plays basketball just in terms of his play style uh, like NBA teams will not go for that uh you watch the Brooklyn Nets for instance Cam Thomas did not really get a uh, opportunity until the Nets needed him because like you can find shot creation in the NBA it's the other skills that are harder to find it's why Kessler Edwards has stayed in the Nets starting lineup despite the fact that Cam Thomas I think has like six or seven 20 plus point games uh Probably since the new year, I think is that number. It's, so it's, like, it's a it's a great point too. And Cam Thomas and, yeah. and people are, are posting, and tweeting about the buckets. Like you guys are idiots. You're all wrong. The Nets are losing those games by an average of 19 points. So I'm not taking anything yeah. away from him having 25. You lost by 26. Like he went off in the fourth quarter when the game was long decided. That's not a a shot at Cam Thomas, but it's more of exactly what you're saying. I'm rocking with Kessler Edwards in the lineup when like the game matters and. For for Cam, I think he's going to be able to find his way really into like the actual rotation when they're back at full strength. It could be a good piece that they use, but that's replaceable, right? Isn't that kind of what we're saying? Yeah. Like you don't have to take that guy tenth; you can take him twentieth, and you could find another volume type of shooter like that in in this draft or the next draft or even free agency. All right, question number ten: How much can we expect from the international crop of players in this year's class? This is way more of like a self-asked question. I thought when I when I read this, I don't really dive all the way into <laughs> to FIBA until April. Yeah. So the tournament's over. So much basketball that I'm just trying to keep up with. I like Nikola Jovic. Uh, based on what I've watched, there's not a ton of depth in the first round anyway. There's a lot of developmental guys like Ishmael Kamagate, uh, Hugo Basson, Yannick Nosa, Usman Dang, amongst others, but not necessarily those guys who that I've seen just in a couple of games of each of them where I said, yeah, that, that guy's going to be a, a top 10 pick and a difference maker. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that a, an international player goes in the top 20. Uh, I think close. Nikolajovic has a chance. Uh, mm-hmm. His defense has been picked over by NBA scouts already. <laughs> and there are some concerns there, but he's a good passer. He's a good shooter. Who's knocked down 37% of his threes. I believe off the top of my head, um, six foot 10 real high level player over at mega in Serbia this year. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Ishmael Kamagate. He is a you know, big, ways. you know, ways to go. Yeah. Big center who can score uh, and defend with Paris right now. Uh, he is a little bit older, 
I believe he's 21 already. And if he's not 21, he turns 21 this year. Uh, he is still developing in terms of his feel. He's mostly just like an athletic finisher guy right now. Um, the few Australian prospects that are over here, uh, we've got Usman Jeng, who I think was the guy that everyone was really excited about entering the season. Hmm. Six foot ten, like wing, you know, playmaker, and it has not gone well here. In Australia, like he is nowhere near ready to be a contributor uh, to the NBL, let alone like Australia or like the NBA right now. Hugo Basson is, you know, a six foot four scorer who can get buckets, but teams have real worries about the defense, right? Uh, Matteo Spagnolo uh, out of Spain or out of Italy, I'm sorry, is a really interesting creative lead guard who teams don't think is going to defend. Uh, it's funny, like the guy that I like most just given the combination of like where I think I would have to draft him versus what I think his skill level is, is probably Gabriel Procida yep. out of Italy. Uh, he's a six foot seven wing who I do believe can shoot and who I do believe in athletically. Um, I saw that I think Tyler Metcalf asked a question about Procida. Um, I'm a big fan. I've liked him since last year. If he would have entered last year's draft, I had a top 50 grade on him. Um, I still have a very high grade on him. And I think he's really like a valuable potential player long-term uh, kind of a late bloomer over in Italy. So uh, Yannick Sosa has not particularly played well this year. He's not someone I'm all that excited about. Khalifa Jop, another guy in the ACB league. That's, you know, just a big project center that I think should probably not declare for this draft. Rocco Prakachin was yeah, a player Rocco. that was at last year's combine that uh, has not really taken a step forward this year. Yeah. And, the whole idea was that hopefully he could take a step forward. Um, you know, Guy Santos, Luke Travers, guys like that, interesting projects, but you know, maybe not prospects for this year's draft. So uh, a lot of potential second round stashes, not really any high level, like potential first round picks, I think. Rare. It's a rare year. Yeah. And that's going to change next year when Victor Wembenyema is eligible for the <laughs> second or first. Yeah, like he, he will go in the top five for sure. Um, okay, I'm adding a question here because I realized oh, that boy. I forgot one here. 22 um, questions, 50 cent weeps. <laughs> it won't be 22. We'll remove a mail. <laughs> we're, we're, we're good. Um, the Overtime Elite program is a new addition this year. And yes. you've gone to see Overtime Elite, so I figure this is not going to be that difficult of a question for you to answer. That's but funny. it is a new addition for uh, this season, a new wrinkle. How is that program going and how are scouts going about evaluating it in comparison to other, uh, you know, styles or other leagues? And on top of it, who are the prospects that you're interested in for this class? Scouts that I've talked to and myself included, when you go and put eyes on it, it it's better than what you think. It, it's better what the perception is. Reality is actually better than perception, which is strange and, and rare. It, it is a difficult evaluation setting in that it, it's closer to a, a high school style league where all these guys are higher level players but should be in high school right now. So it's different than playing the SEC. It's different playing over in the NBL. And, and they've kind of it, it hit in a weird time where the NIL came where players can get paid for their name, image, likeness in college. If that didn't exist, it, this would have been like a real alternative pathway. But now you're, you're kind of deciding, like, do I want to go to a high major school or do I want to go to overtime elite, which has been unproven. I, I, I'm not a, a business person in the sense of knowing how well it goes that way. 
in, in terms of their draft guys and, and how it goes long term. I think this class is actually like one of their weakers, weaker ones, which is weird. I think next year's we have Jazzy on Gortman. They, they have both of the the Thompson twins. They'll they'll be better off there. They have Tyler Smith a, a year even further down the line than that. The guys this year, I was underwhelmed with John Montero. He's played better since I saw him, of course. That's just the way it works out. But like a sub six two shooter, uh, passing it better, but not the best defender. Kind of can just go three point line to three point line at times. John Barlow's played a lot better. Uh, I was impressed by him when I went down there, shooting the ball at, at six foot nine. Kind of a, a pace and space guy that can pick and pop, can run the floor outside my top sixty. I just had somebody tweet and ask me the other day where I had him. I'd love to bring him in as an undrafted free agent, bring him into summer league, bring him to training camp. Those are kind of like their only guys right now. Uh, Kokiat was like banging on the door a little bit, but he's been hurt, so hasn't been seen as much. But Dom and John Montero are the guys right now that I think scouts are, are most focused on for this draft class. Yeah, and, and Montero is very polarizing. When you talk to scouts, um, some teams think he's like a top 15 guy, uh, especially in this class that, you know, is not particularly, uh, rich with point guard play. And others see him as like a second round pick, to be honest. Yeah. I'm um, closer there. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, go to number 12. How deep do we think this 2022 NBA draft class is? It's a strange depth. I, I like it as, as seeing a lot of role players that may stick without the actual loaded stars at the top, similar to last year. And and let me put it this way. Like the Celtics last week traded a pick in the 20s as part of last week's Derek White deal. I am blank. Normally I'm like, what? We're giving away a pick? Like that's a guy. That, I don't know who the guy in the, the 20s is there. And I know it was a, a pick swap and uh, Josh Richardson and, and Romeo Langford, but like we got Derek White. And if 20 is part of the asset package, like go ahead. That's fine. It, yeah. it may be okay for for some i just don't necessarily see the the impact players there i'd rather take my chances on a proven guy and, and that's why i've liked some of these trades that later in the first round include those picks is i'm just not i'm not as enthused as the the crop of guys that's that's going to be in that range yeah and i, I kind of want to combine it with the next question here because okay. I, I think that that is ultimately going to tell the tale of how deep this class <laughs> is uh in that vein it seems like there is a bizarre mix this year of players who are upperclassmen mm. who might be a little bit more ready to play college basketball or could play in the NBA, but like have very low upsides. Like we're talking like, you know, could be rotation players in the NBA uh, and freshmen who are high upside could be long-term starters uh, with some real development, but are total wild cards mm. in terms of variance. Like you, we talk about this every year that there are these guys <clears throat> This year, it feels particularly like players at that, you know, end of the first round level are farther away from contributing. Like I was talking to a scout yesterday about this last year in terms of pre-draft guys, we felt really good about trying like NBA teams felt really good about trying to convince guys like Ben Matherin to jump into the first round, be a stash guy. And we're going to get a guy early. They felt really good about Jaden Ivey and trying to convince Jaden Ivey, jump in the first round, you know, or jump in the draft. We'll take you 26 or whatever. Guarantee it. Like, just do it. And those guys decided to return to school. They felt like they weren't ready and jumped up boards. This year, it feels like there's not even really those guys yeah. in terms of like, you know, 
feeling even a degree of certainty that there's going to be a leap up the board. Um, there are pre-draft candidates that a lot of different people like, um, but there isn't like the guaranteed guy where you feel awesome about it. So I, I guess that like what the scouts do with this, I get like, it feels like the depth of this draft could genuinely take an enormous hit. If a lot of these guys like Max Christie, Josh Minot, um, Peyton Watson, uh, you know, like Jeremy Sohan even, I think fits in this boat to an extent. Although I think that some people really like Jeremy Sohan, myself included. Uh, Caleb Houston, Bryce McGowan's, J.D. Davison. There's um, names. Yeah. You, you can go there's, up and down the there's, list. There's depth right? like in the wild card names, which is the, the bizarre part of it. Right. There are a ton of these crazy wild cards that like you could convince yourself are worth taking at the end of the first round. But like not all those guys are going to declare for the draft, I don't think. So when you're evaluating the depth of this class and we're kind of at the point now where it's passed because the trade deadline is where they really had to evaluate the depth of this class in terms of like, do we trade a first round pick? Do we not trade a late first round pick? Um, But what do scouts do with this? Like as we kind of continue down this pathway here. Well, we're, we're talking wild cards. We have to talk rounders. It's the, it's the famous quote from there. It's you can't lose what you don't put in the middle, but you can't win much either. There's enough safe yeah. guys in the first round that are proven commodities. If you want to play safe and, and take Duke's Wendell Moore and take Ohio State's EJ Liddell, kind of know what you're getting. If you want to go for that home run pre-draft swings at at Peyton Watson, at Blake Wesley, at Max Christie, Jeremy Sohan. Blake Wesley is another really good one. Like People really like Blake Wesley. I'm like, I don't want to say I'm out on Blake Wesley. I like him. Yeah, but you're but not he's in, right? It's like I'm like not in either. a six-foot-five wing who can really create a shot in the half court, but like not an elite-level shooter and like defensively is like just a mess. A and, it's take, and it's taken as lumps. Like the efficiency has gone way down. So for, yeah. for scouts, you, you have to do your homework. You have to watch the tape. You have to go to practice. You have to see the guys play more if they're only getting 10 minutes a night and eventually decide – how much you're willing to put in the middle? Are you willing to take this risk on one of these guys? We want to play it safe like E.J. Adele, who could be a rotational guy. It's not a shot at him at all. He doesn't have the upside of one of these freshmen. If that whole crop comes back, I'm confident two or three of them are going to find their way into the lottery. Which ones? Couldn't tell you. You asked me a year ago, I'd say Jaden Ivey's 15th pick. I would have said first. Some guys go up. Some guys go down. There's there's so much of you're jumping off and you, you hope you land and it's close, but you could be jumping and free falling for a while. Like so many of these guys that we're talking about here have just not had good years. Like they just have not played good. It's, ba- like, it's not Max Christie is averaging like, under they have 10 points good, a game, shooting under 40% from the field. Like Pete Watson, like they've had good games. weeks without scoring. Yes, like, like twice. <laughs> he, he did it in like November, December, and I was like doing it again. It's It's wild. So I get so... I try not to get super high on guys, but I really like Peyton Watson. Then he tails off. I, people texting me, "Oh, your boy Blake Wesley is stinking up." I, I, I liked him. I, I didn't. I thought maybe he'd be like lateish lottery, and now it feels like one of these pre-draft guys. Like he he's not quite ready yet. Yeah, like I'm looking at JD Davison's numbers right now. Like <laughs> you, you go from December 18th until now, like. J.D. Davison has not been super awesome. I mean, he's no, averaged eight that, points, 3.6 rebounds, 3.5 assists, two and a half turnovers, and shot under 30% from three. Like, but what was the game he was really good that chopped up? Was that Ole Miss? 
it was Ole Miss. This yes. was Ole Miss. They're in a zone, and he was great. He he was like really composed. He, he but how many teams play zone in the NBA? That's like, fine, but it was more that he wasn't like rushed in it. He was like attacking it kind of like it was a man to man. Like they'd screen it, he'd go in the lane, throw an alley oop off the rotation. So at least there was like progress there. And then the next game, he had like five turnovers and was like two for a thousand. So I, I like I don't I don't know what to make of it. I want to say we're going to get clarity in five or six more games. They've all played twenty, and you could rank these five guys that we rattled off one way. I could do a completely other, and I wouldn't necessarily argue with you because there's just nothing for me to to say concretely that my list is better than yours. No, it's this is a messy, messy process. And then the next question here is not from the team perspective, but rather from the player perspective. Like, if you're a player like like Max Christie, if you're a player like J.D. Davison, like um, Peyton Watson, like Josh Minot. Um, Josh Minot's particularly an interesting one because that Memphis uh, situation up until recently had turned like very poorly. It seemed like um, if you're one of these guys, like what, what do you do is kind of my question. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but I will tell you like yeah. the Sacramento Kings were really excited about Rob Woodard and Jamias Ramsey up until a week ago when they caught him. Yeah. And it's very easy to get disposable quickly in the NBA if you are a developmental player. The Phoenix Suns were really excited about Jalen Smith until they decided not to pick up his third-year option. Yeah, they like, decided he was going to go full God mode and put up crazy numbers. But it, it happens quickly. It turns quickly. And for guys that – it goes It goes fast in the NBA. If you're not ready to play, like – <laughs> you better be ready to play the next year because if you're not, you're done. Like you're getting cut. Well, if you're not ready to play, you better be ready to play in the G League and produce. And it's a risk if if you declare for the draft. And how much are you willing to bet on yourself? BJ Boston left after a, a not great year at Kentucky. And he ended up on his feet with the Clippers. He, he's been good. Mm-hmm. Could have whiffed. Dejan Nix turned down UCLA, goes to the G League. Ignite was not good. Ends up back with the G League, crushes in Houston, just signed a four-year deal. Then you have the guys you mentioned, Jamias Ramsey, Robert Woodard, probably left too early. They're cut but, last week. You know week. what, though, with Dacian Nix? Like, you bring up Dacian Nix. Like, yeah. this has gone as well as it possibly could have for Dacian Nix in the G League. Playing for Rio Grande Valley, he's averaging like seven assists and three turnovers a game, and he's shooting really well from three. Because he was on a two-way to start, he is now locked into a four-year contract that I would imagine – I don't have the info on this. I'm not reporting this. But like just given the way these four year contracts work, these hinky special deals, like he is probably locked into a deal where he is non guaranteed for the next three years and at the whim of like the Houston Rockets being able to cut him whenever they want. So like is that an advantageous situation for Dacian Knicks, even though this has gone as well as it possibly could have? That's part of the enormous gamble. And you have to be able to live with those consequences. Some guys the pro developmental system and time in the G League is, is better suited for them than college. I'm not knocking guys that think that way. Just have to make sure you yeah. know the risk and have all the information around the different scenarios. We laugh about it, not at the other players' expense, but when we hear the second round stories each year about guys are drafted and they're celebrating, they're picked 50, whatever, they're, they're high fiving everybody in the room and their agent's like, Yeah, we signed a, a a deal, a G League deal, you're guaranteed 30 grand. Like, well, wait a minute. I was just drafted. Like, that's the life comes at you fast. If you're not a guaranteed first round pick, yeah. you're playing with fire. You got to be able to better on yourself and, and live with it if you succeed and live with it if you get burnt too. 
Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I mean, it's a, this is a weird, strange year. I mean, you just go back to the 2020 NBA draft, right? So the guys where, um, you know, it's been under what, under 18 months since these guys have been picked and just going through, I mean, Rob Woodard already cut Tyler Bay goes 36 already cut. Um, Daniel Aturu goes 33 already cut. Tyrell Terry goes 31 already cut. Vernon Carey 32 was traded this year. I, I have some worries about him getting cut very soon. Um, you know, Jamias Ramsey, 43, already cut. Uh, you know. Those are high picks, going. too. You're, you're talking. Yeah. Uh, the, the narrative changed a little bit. that The first round goes to about 38 this year, or that it's say that every year, because it's more guaranteed deals that teams are willing to do. Just rattled off about four or five before the 40th pick that got cut. Yep. Uh, it, it's it's tough. I, I mean, it's it's like really, really tough. Like you, you get to the NBA, you better be ready to go within 18 months of being drafted. Like if you are more than an 18 month project, you're probably going to get cut. Like that's kind of what it comes down to, especially if you don't go in the first round. And even if you do go in the first round, there, there's some risk there. Like Jalen Smith is probably like the low end of that risk scale. Jalen Smith still got like $9 million, I think. Uh, so he's not like totally screwed or anything. And at the end of the day, he probably made the right call because he got that $9 million and went 10th overall, but he shouldn't have gone 10th overall. And I think he's kind of an outlier in that regard uh, that got really lucky because the Suns liked him. So I say all this to say, like if I'm a lot of these guys that are right on this borderline, that could go anywhere from number 20 to number 55. I don't know if I'm going. Fire beware. I don't, I don't think a lot of these kids are ready. Like it's and, a it's a real you know, risk factor. And the, the risk factor too is you make significantly more money if you go back to school and show and prove. Those draft slots are, are slotted one through thirty or whatever it may be. You make more money in the first round based on where you pick. So if you produce and, and you're able to show your stock rises, you'll get more there than an ultimate roll of the dice going the second round and who knows where you end up. Yep. Uh, okay. We are down to question number fifteen. Finally, uh, who do you see as being the player that is undervalued right now? Do you think that there's a lottery guy that's kind of hiding in plain sight a little bit that we aren't discussing in that regard? We've turned the corner nationally on Walker Kessler. He was somebody early that I think we we're on the bandwagon and now seems like a consensus yep. top 20 ish pick. So I, I don't think he's necessarily in plain sight when we're talking he's potentially defensive national defensive player of the year. From a production and value standpoint, I'm still higher on most than I was Keegan Murray. I, I just see the the way he can play different positions in the NBA, can shoot it, can be the main guy, can play off the ball, can score in transition. Uh, it seems like the the way that, that he scores and the way he fits, he can be a third or fourth starter in the NBA. Uh, another non-flashy like really flashy guy, anytime I, I put out a video with him, it gets like the lowest amount of views because it's no thrills. He's going end-to-end. He's dunking. Here's a mid-range pull-up. Oh, I, right. I tapped in a game-tying one against Penn State. But it's still important to talk about this guy because, to me, he's a, he's a top-ten lock in the way his style fits in the NBA. If we keep going on this path and we're searching. We're searching for guys. And I think you're still searching for guys in the lottery too. I've rewatched, sure. I've rewatched a lot of Jalen Duran lately. And a part of it is like, maybe, right? I'm trying to watch more Jaden Hardy. Maybe. 
can Kendall Brown really shoot? It, it's open season. There there hasn't been an, enough guys. I wish there were more guys hiding in plain sight. Maybe I'm missing them, but I don't necessarily know who those guys are. I don't know who those guys are either. <laughs> like I, I love trying to find these dudes, and, and we're going to uh, kind of answer a question about this later on. Um, I love trying to find these dudes. I love trying to you know hunt guys down that I think are undervalued assets, like – around this time last year is when I really started to pump up Herb Jones as like, Hey, this guy is a legit draft pick. Like we need to be serious about him. Um, he is the sec player of the year. Yeah. He is the sec defensive, <laughs> defensive player, player of the, of the year. year. Yeah. Like, like he, he did it all. Right. And the other part of this is too, that I think because this draft is so like there, there's not a lot of depth there. Um, it, it's very hard to find these guys. I think it, it's, it's just very, yeah. very hard to find these guys. Um, it's, and that's I think Tari right. Eason that, might be the guy. See, that that's a good one. And, and that I'm, I'm leapfrogging question here is that he's a guy in the NCAA and conference tournament that I, that I think could emerge because of opportunity. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, like he's starting to emerge. Like it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's starting yeah, to come. Um, you look at his numbers from January 8th onward, uh, you know, and that let's even remove the previous two games because he missed a large portion of that Florida game. Cause I believe he got uh, like in weird ass, like foul trouble. That was like total bullshit. He played like seven minutes in that game somehow um, over the course of Tari Eason's last nine games from January 15th onward, he's averaging 18 points, six rebounds, three steals, a block, He's shooting 52% from the field. He's shooting 47% from three, 75% from the line. I think there is a pretty real chance Tari Eason goes in the lottery. Uh, I think that there's a pretty good chance he ends up in the lottery. Uh, You talk to players that have played against him. You talk to uh, sources around, you know, just his situation. Like the thing that they mention is he is just so strong and so physical and like just so ready to play. Um, and ready to impact the game uh, with his athleticism and physicality that it's easy to imagine him stepping into an NBA role and being effective early. I think I, I am 15th right now and LSU hit a slide. They lost six of seven. They've won the last two against Texas A&M and Mississippi state. And those two games or, or the numbers pop even more. He had 25 points, 12 rebounds, three blocks, three steals, and then 23 points, six rebounds, two blocks, two steals at, at yep. six foot eight can just do a little bit of everything for them. When, when he has an elevated stage and, and more eyeballs, we're, we're looking for the playing site guys. We're looking for people to emerge. It's going to emerge when he takes off in transition and Euro steps in and dunks on a guy and then hits a three and has blocks a shot. Oh, here's a steal. Th- those things are just going to be a kind of more evident to everyone else out there. Question number 16. For a non-college basketball fan, so NBA fans of bad teams that are looking to tune into games and get <laughs> eyes on prospects, um, are Andrew Schlecht's of the world, for instance. Shout out Andrew Schlecht. Our guy. Uh, for a non-college basketball fan, which teams could they tune into in order to learn the most about this class? Are there teams that play enough of an interesting schedule or have enough interesting prospects to make a college basketball viewing experience for the NBA fan worthwhile? Duke's definitely the first one because of the depth they have in their prospects of Paul Bancaro, AJ Griffin, Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore, Mark Williams. And, and that's 
sort of like my my sell on the role players is you're you're so loaded there. You have so much depth. How are they able to make it work within what Duke's doing? And that's where yeah. Kendall Moore, I'm sorry, Wendell Moore becomes like the steady hand. That's where Mark Williams becomes this ultimate rim protector, just just catch and dunk. That's why you yeah. want Paul to do more. So that's my first one. The, the other one, not, not a I, I would say the over under for Duke right now is four and a half first round picks. Um, yeah. Not just in 2022. Like we don't know. Trevor Keels is a guy that could fit into that previous conversation about like, should he declare? Should he not declare? But I would say the over under on this Duke team is four and a half first round picks on the roster, which is a lot. Obviously, it, it, it's a lot. It's, it's a good line, too. And some come off the bench. Auburn's my other one with. Jabari Smith Jr. and Walker Kessler. And the reason I say them is how they play with faster-paced guards. And that's not always yep. going to be the way they play in the NBA, but how they adapt, how they play when Wendell Green and Kitty Johnson combined for 39 shots. And Jabari Smith has seven. Is he is he moping? Is he still effective on defense? Is he still setting hard screens? Is Walker Kessler still protecting the rim as hard as he normally would? So I, I like them within that construct to evaluate too. I would mention two other teams. Uh, I think Arizona is one of the three most talented teams in the country, um, along with the two that you mentioned. I think Duke, Auburn, and Arizona are the three most talented teams in college basketball this season. I don't know if they are necessarily going to end up being the best teams. I think that those are the three that I would ride with in terms of just having dudes. Uh, Arizona is fucking huge. They play <laughs> six seven, six seven, six ten, seven one, like across the two through five positions. Uh, they can play Dale and Terry at like point guard and then bring in another big wing sized player. Uh, they are just enormous. They have, I would say, probably the over under for them is two and a half first round picks over the next couple of years. Uh, on their can, roster. Can we, can we shoot the shot now at Dale and Terry? Can I stamp this that next year he's going to be a guy? Yeah. No, I, th- okay. I think that Dalen's a – I think Dalen's you're right, a You're right. Please go back to school. But I, I, yeah, I like, like go back to school, Dalen. Like, on me a lot. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I do think he is a 2023 first-round pick. And by the way, if he has a big uh, NCAA tournament, and we're going to talk no. about that. Next question. Uh, that, that is that is one. Um, I would say they have over under two and a half first round picks on this team. They play some interesting teams in the Pac-12. I would watch Arizona. The other team is Kentucky. Like, look, you know, yeah. we're, we're mentioning just day. all the blue bloods here, right? With Duke, <laughs> Arizona, Kentucky, right? But Kentucky's another top five most talented team in the country. Ty Ty Washington's really good. And the other part of it is that they play uh, – an elite schedule in the SEC. You know, you kind of look up and down the roster um, or up and down like the big board, right? Like you can just find so many guys in the SEC that are really, really interesting prospects. Like Iverson Molinar at Mississippi State, Tari Eason at LSU, um, you know, obviously Kessler and Smith, right? Like uh, J.D. Davison and Keon Ellis. Like They play Tennessee tonight and get Kenny Chandler. Like there's every night there's something. SEC is certainly more than a football school. Yeah. Uh, okay. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, question number 17. Heading into the NCAA tournament and conference tournaments, what players do you think could really emerge given that there's so much opportunity right now for surprise emergences? Well, Tari Eason was number one, who we just covered. Yep. My other one is from your alma mater, EJ Liddell. And, and why I say EJ Liddell is... Not hiding in plain sight, but this is a guy who's averaging 20 points per game and seven rebounds while shooting almost 40% from three. He declared last year, I thought he was not great at the G League camp, 
and he's improved. Yep. The, the the shot he shot nineteen percent from three. It was only twenty six percent as a freshman. Now it's up to forty percent. What's real? What's not real? He's defending better. He's moving better. Could really solidify himself as at least a, a back end first round guy with some more noteworthy tournament performances, which is, is very possible with the Ohio State team. Okay, so you went like with the like obvious ones, which is good because <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go like sleepers. Um, okay. Because every year it feels like there are a couple guys that like just way emerge like off the board, right? Like Johnny Juzang went from sure. off the board to getting an invite to the combine and everything, right? Mm-hmm. The two guys for me that I want to point out, I do want to point out Alondis Williams, and yeah. I've been a bit skeptical of Alondis throughout the year. I think that he turns the ball over a lot. I have some questions on the jump shooting, but he's averaging 20.7 rebounds, five assists per game. Uh, He does make some really high level passing reads. Like some of the passing reads that this guy makes are just absolutely tremendous. That that left-hand cross-court one he had, I think this week was like ridiculous from the elbow, like all the way to the other side was ridiculous. Yeah. And and like, look over the last five games, uh, they have played a bit of a more athletic schedule, I think is the way to put it. Like Syracuse is long and athletic. Florida State is long and athletic. NC State's long and athletic. Miami is like long and older and uh, experienced and pretty athletic. Uh, in those five games, he's averaged almost six turnovers per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is right around even in terms of assist turnover ratio. And, you know, he's continuing to just be relatively inefficient. But if he can rein that in just a little bit for a few weeks, he's going to explode, I think. Like, if he could just rein it in just enough to where teams can get excited and they make a deep run in the ACC tournament and then maybe make, like, a Sweet 16, I think Alondis Williams would have a shot to rise into the first-round conversation. Um, I would say I have him, like, right around, like, you know, 60 right now because – I'm very skeptical of the turnover stuff and he strikes me at the moment as a guy that uh, you see a lot of guys like this in the G league, I would say yes, in terms of just being able to make shit happen, but not being able to put together the final product. Um, He's not yet putting together the final product, but he has enough there in terms of his creativity to where he could like, he has real skill, real athleticism. Um, the other guy I wanted to mention was just Colby Jones. I, I really oh, like Colby you Jones. You can't quit Colby Jones. Yeah, I can't quit Colby Jones. He has not been awesome uh, over the course of the last little while here. But if Xavier can make a run and they can make a run on his back, um, he can start shooting for a little while. Maybe uh, he's averaging like eleven <laughs> points, eight rebounds, and shooting fifty percent from the field. If that three point number can tick up from twenty seven to like thirty five, maybe, uh, and he averages fifteen instead of ten. Maybe, um, you know, so, someone that could emerge. There are a few of these guys out there. There are, frankly, a lot of these guys out there just because um, there is so much room. There's so much space to emerge. But, you know, uh, it, it's tough to it's tough to find the guys. I, I think that Julian Strother is another guy because Gonzaga is going to make a run. I love Julian Strother. You know that. And Julian Strother could put together like three or four huge scoring games where he scores like 20 to 25 points and scouts get excited. Will Richardson's another guy that I kind of like. And if Oregon can go on like a little run here and Oregon under Dan Altman always seems to go on a little run late in the season like this. Um, 
that's another guy that like I kind of really like. Um, okay, it's time for mailbag. We're gonna finish with our final three questions here. Three's right, I believe. Yeah. Um, with mailbag questions. Okay, question number one. It seems like high field prospects, this comes from our good friend Adam Spinella over at the Box and One. Spence. It seems like high field prospects have done well in the NBA's young players over the last few years. Uh, Josh Giddy, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, he uses examples. Who in the 2022, 2022 class might you see being a similar high field player who has other perceived weaknesses who thrives as a professional? Oh, that's this this that's a great question in this class. It's a very it's a very tough question. This class, uh, I just saw him and didn't blow me away. But Jordan Hall is the first name I think of from St. Joe's. Yep. He he doesn't have really like that that quickness, that extra stuff. But he's smart and heady enough where he's got a million spins, of fakes, punts, punches, seals, whatever. Like he he gets to where he needs to, and he hasn't like necessarily produced lately how I, I thought he would consistently throughout the year. But he's he's the first name as I scroll my big board to find anybody there that that pops. He could be a, a better pro too, where he sticks and is part of a rotation. Just the way he moves the ball, sees the game, can play off a of ball screen. It's going to be better when he doesn't have to be the number one guy. And part of the reason he struggled at St. Joe's some this year, and they've struggled. I don't think he's the number one guy. I think he's a, a third or fourth on the court, and that's yeah. when he'll be really the, at the best of his ability. Yeah, three guys stood out to me. One of them was Jordan Hall. I'm really mm-hmm. glad that you said Jordan Hall. Uh, the second guy was Harrison Ingram. Uh, yeah, he does really one. see the Damn floor yeah. like really well. That's that one. Uh, really really, really smart player. <laughs> Passes really well. He's going to need the shot, but we could have said that about all three of these guys. Right. Um, I I worry more about the touch with him than I did with Halliburton and Lamelo. Um, I do think like similar stuff there with Giddy, totally different role. Like he's not a point guard. He's more of like a point forward um, who makes quicker decisions. But I think Harrison Ingram's probably a pretty good guy here. Uh, Jordan Hall's another one. And then the third one was Dyson Daniels. Uh, just really, yep. really smart player, really intuitive, processes the game exceptionally well. Um, not the craziest athlete in the world. Like doesn't have like the crazy, you know, bag of skills, but you know, really a high level defender, really smart. Um, going to need the jumper though, uh, to come through at the end of the day. Okay. Question number two, uh, here what's happening with Patrick Baldwin jr. And the Milwaukee team, they seem to underperform in the horizon and his name barely gets mentioned, uh, at all anymore is the fact that he went to a smaller school an error in retrospect. This comes from Benudisu. Probably an error. I, I don't he, – he went to play for his dad. I so, don't so, think there's so, probably about it. <laughs> well, hold on, though. If you're going to go play for your dad, I, I totally understand it. Basketball-wise, yeah, it's an error. He should probably be at Duke as a third option, and we're talking about him as a top-ten guy. I held on as long as I could to say he's going to figure it out. He hasn't figured it out. He, he's more – in that range of like pre-draft guys now, which seems crazy to say, I'd still like take a look at, at, at 15 to 20 because I, I still buy a, a 6'9 jump shooter who's in just a, a bad place for him to develop to his full ability. I tried to spin it when he was bad the first couple of games and said, this is going to be great for him. Just get a, a bunch of junk coverage thrown at you, learn how to be an alpha, learn how to be the dude. He, he's not that. There's a lot of guys in the NBA who aren't that. He's going to be way better 
with other guys creating better looks for him, a, a point guard that can really set the table for him, it, it would be uh, it would be a lot easier to watch if he was at a better school. I understand the decision would have said go somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, it, it was clearly a mistake to go somewhere that didn't have guards. Like, yeah. there, there's just not a way around that. I get that he wanted to go play for his dad, and that is a um, commendable thing. Like, family is important. Hot, hot take. That's that's my take <laughs> on this podcast. Family the is the name of the podcast. You watch too many Fast um, and Furious movies, but oh, that's yeah, family. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, I think it was a mistake. Like. He has a 45 true shooting percentage. He's shooting 26% from three when he's an elite level shooter because every shot is just hyper contested because teams just like sell out to stop him. Um, there's nobody that takes any pressure off of him. Um, it, it's just lack, lack of fight too out there. Like it, it seems like he's not, yeah. not battling, like just seems a little bit checked out whether he is or he's not. It could be checked out just like I'm tired of getting double teamed. I'm tired of a second guy being sent over every time I catch the ball. That's what you walked into with that team. So had had to know it a little bit. It was definitely a, a reality check quickly, and I, I still I still holding on that he could be much better in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I would still take him in the top twenty in this class because I think that the shooting is a genuinely translatable skill. But um, it is worth talking about him. I think like in this reset podcast because yeah, we haven't talked about him in a while. And, you know, he's a former number one overall recruit in the country that is like anonymous right now, essentially. Okay. Third question comes from Mavs draft, which is uh, just a fantastic question. I love it so much. Uh, Who's the most random player you remember getting drafted? Most random. I'll I'll, I'll I'll answer this first. I'll be I'll be quick. In. I no, I have it. I, I'm loaded up. So for the Celtics is Orion Green. I drafted him in the second round out of Louisiana. I was not in the weeds of, of Southern basketball at that time. I was like, I don't who is this? Like, what are we doing? He was the NBA for two years, I think. So so it didn't really stick. That was the most random for me. And there's plenty out there, but as a, a kid growing up, I that was the one that shocked me the most. Yeah, I'm trying to think like since I've been covering the draft. Right. Um, as much as anything, because I feel like that's probably more fair. Well, um, well, the the answer was Balsa, but yeah, I that, that we've, was my we've talked about many times. <laughs> yeah, uh, Balsa Koprovica getting picked like completely blew my mind last year. What number um, was he on your board? Outside of the top one twenty, like yeah. not even. Yeah, was was every year this is something I did want to note. Like I've I've taken stock. Like every year there's an average of one player outside of my top one hundred who gets picked. Last year there were two. Yorios Kalitzitis, who was one oh one, and Balsa, who was not in the top one twenty. Do you get um, do you get mad at that when you like you missed one? So you had like a ninety nine percent. Yeah, when it's one I get frustrated. Yeah. Like one year Yeah, one year the guy went like fifty eighth overall. And I was like, "Are you kidding me right now?" I thought I, because I've gone, I've gone sixty for sixty on my top one hundred board, like a decent amount of years, yeah. right? Like I would say it's probably like, you know, maybe three of the years I've been doing this, but most of the time there's one. Occasionally there's two that comes off the board, and that's not like a problem, right? Like it's more. I think so. It's NBA a great hit teams, rate. Yeah, being like crazy, but yeah, balls is the one for me. Um, didn't get it. Didn't get it declared. Didn't get he got drafted. I didn't get it. 
Yeah, that was a that was a bizarre one. I've also written about Tangy and Gumbo before, which is <laughs> like the 27 year old that the Minnesota Timberwolves drafted by accident. Um, Wait, why that, was that? An, why was it an accident? Was it one of the classic like Jalen Williams mix ups? Like, was it Jalen Williams Santa Clara or Jalen Williams Arkansas? No, it was like the kid. It's a little bit more sad than that. Like the kid, like actually didn't know how old he was. And like he was born in the Congo and then moved to Qatar and like, Oh, I remember that story. Yeah. I I just know it's a name thing. Like there's a, in North Carolina, there's combine Academy and combine Academy prep. So there's Mm -hmm. a high school team, prep school team. There's an AJ Smith on both teams. So where do you think those recruiting letters go when they come in the mail? Yeah. I mean, AJ Smith just is it, is the right one or not? Yeah. Um, and, And then like in gumbo, like didn't have his, like he didn't even have like access to his passport. Because like the people running the team did apparently, it, it was sad. It's, it's like dark. actually like kind of sad a yeah, little it's bit. Dark. But yeah, I, th- I thought we we're going uh, a different direction here. But we will uh, we'll finish up with question number twenty one, which is the question we ask at the end of every episode. Uh, what movies and TV shows have you watched recently, Matt Penny? I've watched. I don't feel like we talked about this like last episode or just touched on it briefly. I've watched a lot. I watched the Ray Donovan movie. Which was fine. Uh, I watched the whole series. The movie definitely felt like a movie and not like an episode of the show. Mm-hmm. Some finality to it. Uh, I finished Ozark, which was good but maddening because it's like two seasons cut in half. So it was like seven episodes. I'm up to date on Pam and Tommy on Hulu. Have you watched that? No, I haven't. I don't know how much interest I have in it, to be honest. It's it's the Pam and Tommy story meets the Pineapple Express with, with Seth Rogen. And I yeah, watched the first I'm episode. I'm probably good without it, to be honest. <laughs> and I watched the first episode of Bel Air, the Fresh Prince reimagining on How is that? on Sunday. All right. So here's the deal. It, it's, it, it's, got, it, it, it's gotten crushed by critics. Crushed, right? It's like you look it up. It's like 5 out of 10 or Rotten Tomatoes, whatever. The first episode, I was all in because I, I love the Fresh Prince growing up. And it was authentic. It was authentic to Philly. Like it opens up with like the soundtrack. It has Freeway rapping freeways like the head coach it, it has meek mill it has the the four wheels in the streets it, it felt like this was actually someone who like understood the the scene in space the basketball scene seemed yeah. like kind of real and he moved to bel-air because he's like getting away from actual problem that he had a basketball court it, it's a good long-term six eight episodes i don't know but it, it was a fun little trip down memory lane at least for the first one yeah interesting um very interesting. I'll have to, I, I'm kind of curious. Like, I do want to check it out, but like, I do have that like nostalgia of if I'm going to spend my time on Fresh Prince, like, do I just watch the old episode? Yeah, right. Yeah, you can. <laughs> like, you can. <laughs> there's so much to watch. Like, why would I not just enjoy something that I, I don't know? I'm just trying to be to... culturally with it if anybody brings it up. That's all. Yeah. And that's what I do oftentimes as well. Did we talk movies I've seen? So here we go. After the trade deadline on Sunday, my time, I like completely zoned out and I just watched movies uh, for a majority of the day in TV mm-hmm. shows. Um, have we talked about Coda yet? I can't remember if we talked about that on the last one. I think you may have mentioned it. I've heard very good things from two or three people. I, I have yeah. to watch it. I, that, that's it's really that's good. Like nominated for a bunch of awards and it's worthwhile. Yeah, Coda's really good. Um, it's a story that you've seen a million times um, just with different characters. Uh and the representation of deaf people is like interesting at the very least. I know that like a few um, groups of, you know, a couple of individuals, I guess, have come out and said like, 
it's not like this. It's not like that. Um, everyone's experience is different. I feel sure. like, um, you know, it, it's, it's at the very least like a story that centers deaf people as three dimensional characters, which is interesting in and of itself. Hmm. Um, you know, whether or not everyone's experience is the same in that regard. Uh, I watched tragedy of Macbeth, which I turned off after 30 minutes. Because, <laughs> okay. I want to turn it off to 30 seconds based on the title. Yeah. Well, it's like Denzel Washington doing Macbeth. So it's like, okay. Oh, this, was he nominated? Yeah. He got nominated for best oh, actor. Um, I mean, the movie looks stunning. Like it is absolutely beautiful. It, it is unlike anything I think I've ever seen before. It like occupies this weird space between theater and film. Like it's, it's not either, but it's also not either of them. Like it, and it feels strange, but it looks beautiful. Like it's black and white imagery. It's unbelievable. It's just so aggressively not for me that I was yeah. like, no, I'm good. Um, I saw Nightmare Alley uh, with Bradley Cooper and oh, I saw the preview. I, yeah. Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It's probably going to be one of my five favorite movies of the year. Really? Okay. It's probably 20 minutes too long. It's two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, it is another movie that's just like totally beautiful. The production design is absolutely incredible. Um, it looks stunning. Uh, the cinematography is great. Like the way that Guillermo del Toro can like think up these images in his mind and then somehow execute them that are so creative and like dream. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Um, and the movie's interesting. Bradley Cooper, like it's weird to me that Bradley Cooper got no traction for best actor in this thing because he's better than at least half the actors nominated. I think this year um, in this, he's amazing in it, but also I'm like totally in the fucking bag for Bradley Cooper oh, and think Bradley he's Cooper. like awesome. Um, I watched Reacher, which oh, is the most Reacher. important you love thing. Some, you I've, love yourself some Reacher. I, I was texting you like while we were halfway through. I was like, <laughs> you have to watch Reacher. Yeah, I haven't got there yet. I will. Re- Reacher is the most important TV show I've watched uh, in the last five years. Oh, my gosh. It's so dumb and so violent and so silly. They repeat what's happening in the plot 14 times per episode. Just to make sure that they're dragging just you to, along. Just to make sure you're catching up. That's good when there's bit characters and it's like the next episode they do a flashback. Like, ah, yes, him. But if yes. they're doing the same episode, not really necessary. Yeah, and it's so cheesy and so silly. Like, literally when they do that, like in the next episode parts, right? Like, where it's like, oh, wait, like, we need to make sure that you remember this thing happened in a previous episode. They literally do like a flashback in his mind like of the image so that you remember <laughs> on the screen what is happening. You will not forget this. You will know we exactly will, what's happening. It, um, it is so dumb and so beautiful. And that's, I love it that, so much. That, that's like a perfect Sunday show. Now now I have yes. this, this void because yes, the Patriots have been out of the playoffs for a long time, but playoff football's over. Super Bowl's over. That's why we did the, the show today. And now I'll have this emptiness, which I have to fill with TVs and movies. It is a beautiful experience uh, that is just so silly. Um, I started Peacemaker, the John Cena uh, superhero show. Awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. Have you watched any of it yet? No, I haven't. But he did. He did like the uh, 
the tours, the junket tours wearing that outfit. And there was yeah. rumors that he was going to enter the Royal Rumble dressed as that character did not happen. Um, but yeah, seeing, seeing it keeps it simple. He, he knows his, um, he knows the target demographic. He knows what he is, which is important as an actor. I'm trying to figure out like what director figured out that he's actually funny because like his wrestling persona was so different right. than what his like actual like movie star persona is now. Um, the director who figured out that like he can be just like big, dumb, funny guy is a genius. Um, it might be the guy who directed or the person who directed blockers maybe. Yeah. That was probably um, when it started. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out if like there's maybe someone before that, but like he's really good in blockers. He's really good in suicide squad. He's really good in peacemaker. Um, he's just like a naturally funny guy who isn't afraid to make fun of himself. And that's important. Yeah. You have to have, a, you have to have a, a little bit of thick skin, but know who you are. And, and he's a Massachusetts guy too. And we, we just have that. It's ingrained. <laughs> the last thing I watched is um, all of us are dead. I'm like, Oh, is that on Netflix? Two thirds of the way through it. It's like a Korean zombie show. Yes. I saw um, that preview like four times and I was like, I don't know if I, I have like the headspace to, <laughs> to do this like all over again. Yeah. And it's long. Like it's all of the episodes are super long too. Like they're all like an hour to an hour and 10 minutes. And it's like 12 episodes. And there are like too many plot lines happening all at once, but it's really well made and really well shot and really interesting. And I will finish it with my wife. Like Laura was so interested in watching it. Um, and I was like, I don't know, like, is this for us? And it's definitely for Laura because she loves that shit, but like, it's not necessarily for me all the time. Um, been watching it. I'm intrigued. Uh, if you watch it, we're going to have to do a scouting report. Uh-oh. On the one guy, uh, Chong Sun, who is essentially like the, um, I'm trying to think here. Who's like the most, who's like the Barry Sanders of zombie avoidance. <laughs> uh, he is the most elusive, like has the most fluid hips of any, uh, any movie slash TV character. I've we'll ever do, seen we'll life. do him, Ash from Resident Evil. Who else? Who else is in the, yeah. the zombie draft? Yeah, zombie avoidance draft. Uh, who who is our guy? Who are our guys? That's our move. That's perfect. Perfect for the show. Okay, that's all I've got. Penny, that's do great. you have anything that you need to um, plug before you get out of here? No, follow the, follow the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast. What's it? What's Sam Vecini? Follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Those are the plugs. It's easy, simple. Um, yeah, do that. Go follow Penny on Twitter, please. Um, hashtag Penny Ten K. That's our goal that we have right now in our group text. Three stacks right now. Yeah. Our, uh, our group text with our unnamed friend that we really enjoy. Um, Penny 10 K is our new goal. Hashtag Penny 10 K. Um, a couple more drafts. We'll we'll get them there. Keep it locked here. We will have more. I have a mock draft coming this week, so I will be updating that. Um, this will be up before that mock draft goes live because I have to write it, uh, the rest of it, at least this afternoon. So, This has been fun. This has gotten me in that headspace to do this. Like Penny said, go follow the YouTube channel. Until next time, though, we will talk soon. Bye.